Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was a son of his old age. And he made him a robe (coughs) of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? And so they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down, to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here am I. So he said, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, (coughs) and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They, were, and they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, They conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes that dreamer. Come, now let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits. (coughs) Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. When Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of his hand, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into a pit here in the wilderness, <coughs> but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him from their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into the pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels (coughs) bearing gum and balm and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. 
Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pits and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit, he saw Joseph was not in the pit. and He tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? And they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped it and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put on sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. Here ends the reading of God's word. This was a terrible day for Joseph, absolutely the worst day of his life. He lost everything. He went from a beloved son and a righteous servant of his father to suffering and becoming a slave in one day. Despite how bad this day was for Joseph or how bad his future was going to be for quite some time, as we will see over the next several weeks as we continue to work through his story and the rest of Genesis. This story and the rest of Joseph's story all the way to the end of the book of Genesis is actually focused on the goodness of God. Not exactly what we think about when we first approach this passage. And definitely not what we think about when we go through our own suffering without the grace of God. But it is. It is focused on the goodness of God, who is providentially working behind the scenes in order to save Joseph and his whole family and to bring about exactly what they needed, to bring about reconciliation and healing and ultimately salvation to all of them. And the goodness of God, who would use it, as typology, to point us to Jesus, the ultimate righteous suffering servant of God, who would fulfill God's covenant promise to save and reconcile us to him and to each other, and to heal all who trust in Jesus. This day started out just like any other day, but it ended up horribly different than Joseph ever expected. Verse 2 tells us, Joseph, being 17 years old, was out pasturing the flock with his brothers. The story took place about two years after the horrible events of chapter 34, when Joseph's sister Dinah was kidnapped and raped, and then his brothers Simeon and Levi murdered the entire town in hatred and revenge. And that plays into the story. Two years after his mother had died, two years after God called 
Jacob and his entire household to go to Bethel to meet with God in worship (coughs) where God could show them that they needed to have their hearts dealt with through faith and repentance and that he could offer them healing. Then after they spent time in Bethel, they traveled about 30 miles further south and settled back at Hebron by Jacob's father, Isaac, until his death. And that is where they were when this story took place. It's where they've been for about two years. However, this was not two years of peace and happiness in this family, even after spending their time at Bethel. Because at this point, none of his brothers were true believers. Only Joseph was a true believer. Verse 2 tells us, these are the generations of Jacob. (coughs) As we've read this kind of language before in the book of Genesis, as we've seen throughout this book, this is an indication that we are entering a new section of the book where we will be introduced to new people and a new leap forward in God's story of saving people, in his story of redemption, where the, next, where the focus of this next section is not actually placed on the person listed, in this case, Jacob, but rather the focus is placed on his children or the generations that came after him. And what God wants to show us in this very last section of the book of Genesis is how God worked through Joseph, the one who was rejected by his brothers, to eventually save his brothers, to reconcile them and make them useful servants to carry on God's story of redemption. And that is an amazing work of God considering what we've seen of these brothers already. But we're not supposed to just point the finger at the brothers as we think about this list. We're supposed to look at our own hearts. But this list includes pridefully rejecting God in the first table of the law. It includes disobeying parents. It includes hatred and lying, adultery, incest, stealing, and not just murder, but murder of an entire town of people. And these things are carried on in this story, in many respects worse than even before, even though that's hard to think about when we think about chapter 34. Because the evil that is done in this story is done to their own family done to their own little brother. The first thing we notice in this story (coughs) is family tension and a strong contrast between righteous Joseph and his unrighteous brothers. We are told Joseph was 17, and though he was a young man, some translations render the Hebrew word as a boy because it is in comparison to his older brothers. And Joseph's father gave him the job of assisting his brothers with their flocks out in the field. But he was also given the role of monitor, which we will see as we work through this. And that was given to him to make sure that they were doing what they were supposed to be doing and to make sure that they were all safe because their father knew the character of his older sons and that Joseph was the only one that he could actually trust. The story summarizes things and leaves out many, many details. So all we know about what happened next is that one day when Joseph finished his work out in the field, he came back and gave a bad report about his brothers to his father. 
Now, some people think that Joseph was mistreating his brothers. He was trying to get back at them, trying to get even with them because of how they constantly mistreated him. And so this was his way of doing it. Because the Hebrew word for reports can mean a slanted report or a report meant to defame another person. And that is a possibility, but it is not the way I take it because the Hebrew word can also mean equally just a rendering of unfavorable facts where the person is just doing their job without any malicious intent on their part. And this whole story is meant to highlight the godly character of Joseph as a righteous, suffering servant of God, not just in this chapter, but through the rest of this book, and that that is in contrast to his brothers. So more than likely, Joseph was just doing his job, the job that his father gave him, and truthfully answering his questions at the end of the day. But either way, the brothers used it as an excuse for their hatred instead of an opportunity to admit their mistakes and to look at what needs to change in their own lives. The second reason for this family tension had to do with their father, not with Joseph as well. Verses 3 through 4 tells us, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not even speak peacefully to him. Jacob clearly loved his whole family, as we've seen and have pointed out in verses leading up to this story. But he also had his favorite son, which he gave more affection to, which is the meaning of the Hebrew word that we translate as love. The text only tells us one of the reasons for this, one of the reasons for Jacob's ungodly favoritism. We know there are multiple reasons, though. It explains that it was because Joseph was the son of his old age. What is meant by that is that Joseph was this favorite son of his favorite wife who had been barren for many years. And they were praying for a child. And God blessed them with this child, this answer to prayer after such a long wait in his old age. And though it is understandable that this answer to their prayer was special and that God, and that, that should have made them thankful to God for answering this prayer and to celebrate this with Rachel, it should not have made him any less thankful for all of his other children who were blessings from God as well. He took one blessing from God and distorted it by comparing it to other blessings from God, one child compared to others. Despite the mess that caused Jacob to have as many wives and children as he had, once they became his family, he was responsible before God to love them all equally, but that is not what he did. And that was noticed for 17 years, not just after he made this coat in the story. And it caused all kinds of pain and discord, as it always does. Because every child longs to be loved unconditionally by their parents and to receive equal affection. And every parent should have the mindset of Psalm 127, 3 through 5, where we are told, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth, Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And even when things are difficult, as it was 
with his children, very difficult. Every parent should have the mindsets of the father and the prodigal son who prays and waits. But Jacob did not even try to hide his favoritism. Instead, we are told he called attention to it by making him a robe of many colors, or as some translations say, a richly ornamented robe, which publicly displayed that Joseph was the next ruler of the family long before that should have ever been revealed. We'll flesh that out. It is understandable that the outer garment caused hurt between the brothers and the father. But it is not understandable that it caused hurt between the brothers and Joseph, since he did not make the coat. Though some people at first glance have thought, this seems like Joseph is just rubbing things in. That he's highlighting the fact that he's the favorite son by wearing the coat in front of his brothers. And I'm sure that we can all relate to that line of thinking because I'm sure at some point in our lives we've rubbed something in with another person, generally a sibling as well. But I don't believe that that is what Joseph is doing at all. You see, this robe or tunic was the outer garment that people wore, and it was very important to them in their culture. Even when it did not have any symbolism attached to it, which it did here, both good and bad. That is why the law in Exodus 22:26 commanded, if you ever take your neighbor's cloak or the same outer garment, this tunic in a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. That was a requirement in God's law. You see, tunics were used for many things, as an outer garment or coat, of course, to keep warm, but also as a suitcase when people would travel, as a bag for farmers and ranchers that they would wrap grain up in to transport it from one place to another. Women would use them as a baby backpack, and they could tie them in such a way without pins or anything holding them up that they could hold a baby to their chest tightly or to their back without the baby ever falling out. And then at night, the long ones were often used in such a way that they resembled a sleeping bag. There were different styles of tunics. The majority of them in different countries and cultures were short-sleeved and only came down to the knees, and the majority were drab in color. Usually, bright colors were referred, referred to a person, showed that a person was royalty or wealthy or was the firstborn and the one who had the ability to carry on the leadership of the family after the father passed away. These were costly, and only wealthy people would have owned more than one. But even though Jacob was wealthy, more than likely his son Joseph did not have a closet full of different colored tunics like we have a closet full of clothes today, so that he could wear different ones when he was around his brothers and wear this one when he was not. Further, they were always around each other, they lived together. They worked together. They spent all of their time around each other. And since his dad took the time and money to make it for his son, if Joseph never wore it, that would have caused different problems between him and his father. And just the simple fact that he needed to have an outer coat to wear. He was 17. Maybe he just outgrew his old coat, and he needed a new one. And so Joseph made him one. Needless to say, he did not have much choice. But there is more that is taking place with this coat than 
a need for an outer garment, and more than simple favoritism, even though those things are a part of this. We are told Joseph's tunic was multicolored. It might have been colorful and bright, as many have envisioned it, but the Hebrew word can also indicate a person's extremities and carry the idea that this was a long-sleeved coat that went all the way down to a person's ankles, or it might have been both. But what this communicated was, Jacob was publicly designated Joseph as the future ruler of his family, and that he wanted all of his children to follow his godly example. It was good in one sense, but this was something that was probably revealed really too early. It was good because it reflected his faith that God was going to advance his covenant promise with his son. But it was also probably unwise timing, and it showed his favoritism as well. However, even though the brothers would have been hurt by their father and his favoritism, they turned on their brother instead, and the text tells us that they hated him so much they could not even speak a kind word to him. It has the idea of saying, we can't even greet him. When he walks by, we can't even say hello to him. It's that bad. Can you imagine being in Joseph's place? Have you ever had a poor relationship with a sibling? And maybe for a period of time, things really were bad. And as you look back on that now, maybe you really appreciate what God has done and how that relationship has been healed. But Joseph not only had one, he had 10 brothers who hated him. Next, we are told Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers, they hated him all the more. Again, this shows the extent, I believe, of the hardness of the brothers' hearts, not any lack of wisdom or hardness of heart on Joseph's part. Though it is, again, easy to misunderstand Joseph here as well and to think he is being bratty. He's just trying to get back at his brothers. He's rubbing this in again, just like it's easy to think about with the coat. Why did he tell the dreams to his brothers at all? And then why did he do it a second time? That is the way we might think in our culture, but it was not the way that people would have thought in their culture in the ancient Near East, especially in God's chosen family who were used to this kind of stuff happening. You see, in the ancient Near East, dreams were understood as a common means of divine communication and prophecy, not just for the people of God, but all around in that whole region or area. And the brothers would have understood that especially since God met their father multiple times in a dream, and he met their great-grandfather in dreams, and God was very active in communicating with his family. This was his chosen family. Since they were his chosen family to bring on such an incredible, powerful gift as the gift of salvation, this should have caused them to stop and think. This was one of God's normal means of communicating, and they knew that while the Bible was still being written. As Hebrews 1 tells us, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And they had a keen sense that dreams like this were from God. So when they rejected their brother's dream, and failed to contemplate the message, they not only reject their brother, but they reject the God of the dreams behind their brother. 
And verse 11 shows us this when it says, and his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. In other words, the brothers just rejected it outright. They just got angry. They just wanted to retaliate. They had a knee-jerk reaction. But in contrast to them, their father kept the saying in mind, and he contemplated things because he had dreams himself. He spoke with God himself, and so he thought about this. The content of his first dream is pretty simple, and it was immediately understood by the brothers. Verse 7 tells us, Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to mine. That little word, behold, is something that should cause light bulbs to go off in our head about his heart and what he is doing. He's not pointing to me. He's not saying, look at me. He's saying, behold, think about the content of this. They were shepherds and farmers, so it made sense to them. At the time of the harvest, people would gather wheat and other crops, and they would tie them into bundles, tie them together, and then they would stand them upright. And this kept them dry while they were out in the field. It kept them from rotting. And it also made it easier to pick them up and transport them when the time was right into a barn. And in his dream, Joseph's sheaf stood upright while his brothers gathered around and bowed before his. The classic commentary Matthew Henry wrote tells us he spoke this dream as a prophet to his brothers, not as a politician. And I think that Matthew Henry hit the nail on the head. He knew that God had told him what was going to happen, and it was shared in faith, which is the norm for what prophets do. They were supposed to share God's word with his covenant people. There is nothing in this text to suggest that Joseph was wrong to share this prophecy or that he was boasting about this. And it goes against everything we read about his character through the rest of his story. Rather, God gave him a prophecy, which we will see was fulfilled progressively in chapters 42 and 43 and 50. In order to encourage Joseph, because he was getting ready to go through incredibly tough things. In order to bring his brothers to faith later on, as the lights were turned on and they saw the fulfillment of this prophecy. And in order to reveal that God had a good plan all along, once they came to see the lights that it would draw them to worship. In verse 9, he had a second dream. And this time, we are told, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to him. This was a picture of his brothers and his parents bowing down to him. There are a couple of things that are important to note here. First, having a second dream was meant to show the reality that this was from God and that this was decided. It was set in stone. So Joseph could trust in God to fulfill it. One dream might be misunderstood, but two similar dreams confirmed it. But secondly, and very important to note, this proves that Joseph was not unwise in telling his dreams to his brothers or acting in any arrogant way or trying to brag because he had no such feelings or motives at all with his father. And here we are told that he not only shared them with his brothers, but also his father. So we know something different was going on. During different seasons, it was normal to move a person's flocks upward to the north or south, 
in the nation. Since the amount of rainfall and the topography of that area varies really widely, and the amount of good pasture varies depending on the season. And we are told why jo- we are not told why Joseph was originally with his. Um, we're not told why he was not with his brothers at this point when they went and pastured up at Shechem. But we see that the father wants to send him to them. Maybe the father knew that they weren't getting along, and so he kept him away for a little while. We don't know. But in verses 12 through 14, we read, Now his brothers went to pasture their flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock near Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said, Here I am. So he said to him, Go and see if it is well with your brothers and the flock, and bring me word. We should note here that Jacob cared about his other sons. We see that in this. And he wanted to make sure that they were all okay. He was probably concerned because of where they were pasturing. They were at Shechem, the city that they had attacked and left barren just two years before. They were 60 miles away from where they resided now. And so they were vulnerable if any of the other small surrounding cities wanted to attack them in revenge for what they did two years before. Notice his father asked him to bring word, to report on them, giving him further credibility with his first report that this is what his father was doing or what his father was asking him to do on a regular basis. And finally, it's important to notice that Joseph had a godly attitude. He came right away to his father. He said, I'm willing to go, even though this was a very long journey on his own of 60 miles to the north. And he knew that he was going to his brothers that hated him. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, he could not find his brothers. And as he was wandering around out in the fields, looking for them, (coughs) in God's providence, this is one of the first places we see it in the story, he was met by another man in the middle of nowhere at just the right time and place, probably another shepherd as well. But not just a man who was wandering around that he could ask, a man who also was at the same place at the right time to hear his brothers say, let's move on, and exactly where they were moving on to. And so he told them they moved on to Dothan, 13 more miles to the north, and Joseph traveled further. Joseph's brothers saw him coming, probably recognizable from a long distance off from his coat, and they plotted to kill him to throw them into a pit and to cover their tracks. These pits were large pear-shaped cisterns, usually cut into rock, for the purpose of holding water so that it would not evaporate out easily in the hot periods of time. There was a very small opening on the top, and then it was a big pear-shaped cistern, and they would put a rock on the top of that when it wasn't in use. But when they were empty, this made a perfect jail cell because you could push someone in and there's no way they could ever get out. They could not climb those walls that were upside down and a pair shaped and ever get out. And so these were used as prisons quite often, actually. Reuben, the oldest, still had some conscience. And so he heard the plan to kill his brother, even though he was angry at him and didn't like him as well. But he planned to rescue him and to take him back to his father. Most likely, though, this was, as we see in the text, all for himself. 
not really out of much concern for his brother. More than likely, what he was trying to do was regain (coughs) his leadership status as the firstborn and some of the favor that he lost with his father after his failed attempt to usurp his father's authority and to take over as head of the family with his father's concubine. When Joseph arrived, they attacked him. They ripped off his robe and they threw him in the pit. And then we see their hearts. They callously sit down to eat. Meanwhile, their little brother was probably bruised and bleeding. Maybe he hit his head on the bottom. Maybe he even broke an arm or a rib. And they plug their ears and their hearts to his cries for help. And while they were eating, they saw a caravan coming on its way to Egypt because they were on a trade route. Dothan is right on a major route that runs through that area to Egypt. So Judah suggested that it would be much better to sell their brother into slavery and make a little money than to kill him, which revealed that not everyone agreed with Reuben and his plan, saying let's not kill him because they were still thinking about this. But this would have resulted in killing him if they just left him in the pit, which we see more than likely they had the idea to do that. So when the caravan passed, that's what they did. They drew him up, probably with a rope, and they sold him into slavery, thus making them guilty of kidnapping under the Old Testament law, which is punishable by the death penalty. When Reuben returned and found out, more than likely he was out with the flocks when this happened, he was more concerned with, his, with himself and saving face than with the safety of his brother. And so he says, where shall I go? Where shall I turn? In other words, he would be the one who is responsible when they went back to their father. So what alibi should I come up with to save myself? He was ruled by selfish ambition and fear of consequence, not any concern of his brother. Because if he cared for his brother at all, he would have gone after the caravan to buy him back or to rescue him. However, he thought it sounded better to go along with the plan of his brothers, and so they slaughtered a goat, they dipped Joseph's robe in it, and then they lied to their father, callously knowing that this was going to crush their father. But one more thing to notice with how their hearts were really completely far gone. At this point, we see in verse 35, the last cruel thing they did after they told their father and they saw his pain, it says they rose up to comfort him. They acted apart. They deceived him and lied to him, trying to comfort him when all they had to do was tell the truth that he was still alive. Joseph's week started out like any other week, but then everything changed. This godly young man, loved by his father, was sent to his brothers out of love. But blinded by their sin, his brothers hated him without cause and sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. Does it sound familiar to you? Are there themes there that leap off the pages at you? They should, because it's intentional. God has themes all the way through the Old Testament that are meant to point forward to what is coming. Joseph lost everything. His family his income, his country, his way of life, his possessions, including the special coat. 
But even more, he lost his freedom, his dignity, his reputation, his understanding, all in one moment. Joseph suffered deep pain, while his brothers, consumed by hate, made every effort to get rid of the dreamer and his dreams. Notice again, it was not just the brother, but it was God behind it. However, our God is so amazing. And knowing what is in the heart of his people, he knew what was in the heart of all of these brothers. God gave these dreams in the first place because it was a part of God's gospel plan to deal with both the hate that was in the brothers and the hurt that was in Joseph to deal with the hate that is in each of us at times and the hurt that is in each of us at times. Back in Genesis 15, 13 through 14, God told Abraham, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But... I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. God gave Abraham a prophecy that began taking shape in this story in the life of Joseph. Joseph's life started fulfilling that prophecy in this story, and we will see it carry out as we work through Genesis. His life was a type this is typology or a picture of what God was going to accomplish through Jesus, the ultimate righteous suffering servant of God. The one who chose on his own to come down and to give up everything. Joseph would have never chosen to do that, but Jesus chose to do that for sinners such as us, for sinners who are just as guilty as the 11 brothers in the story. What an amazing story it is that God loved those 11 so much that he was working out a way to transform them and change them so they would no longer be what they were. So often we want to shake our fist at God in these situations and say, what are you thinking? Can you imagine what you would be thinking if you were in Joseph's place? Chained, he would have been chained and shackled, walking in a caravan, last in line, because that's where the slaves walked, trying to step out of the way of the camel's excrement that would have been before him, dropping it all the way, wondering where on earth God was and what he was doing. But God loved him so much, and we will see this in the story that he brought him through this. And he also loved his brothers so much as well. This is a picture of Jesus who would come and choose to go through so much more than Joseph went through for us, to suffer so much more than Joseph, taking all our sins upon him and dying on the cross in our place in order to rescue us out of sin and to change us into something new as well. I'm sure that when John was standing at the foot of the cross and he was next to the three Marys, they were wondering and scratching their heads too. But God is an amazing God who brings salvation out of suffering, who takes the worst things of life and turns them around for his glory and beauty.
Do you see the beauty of this story this morning? Does it make your heart soar as it points you to Christ and his gospel? Let us pray.